Okay, this is week four of our Grace Orange Basics Sermon Series. And our leadership team has been team preaching through our ultimate goal as a church because we exist to glorify God through lives transformed by the gospel. So week one, we saw what it means to be Christ-centered community. Week two, what it means to proclaim the gospel and the implications of that. And then last week, making disciples of Jesus. Today, we are focusing on sacrificially serving Jesus. And we're going to have Pete Roberts and Dan Martin and Alan Weisenberger come up and preach. So take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 4. I'm going to read two passages today. Acts 4, verses 32 to 37. And then we'll flip over to Philippians chapter 2 and read verses 1 through 5. So please stand with me to read God's word. This is the word of God, this is not the word of man. And so we hear what God has to say. Acts 4, beginning at verse 32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now over in Philippians 2, beginning at verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ... Any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you Look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the privilege of reading it in our own language. And we thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit that uses your word to to transform us, to to change us, to comfort us, to challenge us. I pray, Lord, as Pete and Dan and Alan come, that, that you would be honored, Lord, that you would, would, be, would be magnified during this time and that we would stand in awe of the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning. Let me adjust this here. 
I hope that's going to work out. I can, I can stoop down a little bit. Um, I'm going to start by, by referring to the very last verse that, that Pastor Mike, Mike read, and, and I'm going to just reread that. And it says, and I'm going to start with verse 3. It says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but to the interests of others. And, um, you know, in, in, in my Bible, I write some things down. I write in there. I don't know if you do, but um, I kind of I wrote in there in my Bible, this is a proof text that the Bible is inspired by God. Because what human would come up with uh, think more highly of others than you do yourself. I mean, I'm kind of familiar with that culture, the human culture. And uh, I came to be a Christian later in life. Um, I think I was 34 years old. And so I'm very familiar with the human economy. And, and the human economy goes like this. It says, um, I'll do something for you if you do something for me. Isn't that true? I mean, that's how, that's kind of how it works. Uh, you know, I was an economics major in school, and, and uh, Adam Smith said, uh, he, he called that the invisible hand. In other words, it, it, you, you do things, you go to work because you're going to get something back for it, and that's the only reason you go to work. And so, uh, you know, uh, he, did, he didn't believe that communism would work. But, you know, here we have... Uh, a different economy, and uh, uh, it's the Christian economy, and I, I just kind of want to talk about this, but no human could make this up. And I'm going to give you an example. If you would, if you would turn to Acts uh, chapter 16, and uh, obviously the, the famous verse in Acts chapter 16, verse 31, you know, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Well, um, that's all about the, the Philippian jailer. And as you know, uh, he wasn't treating Paul and Silas kindly. Um, but then he came to know the Lord that evening, and something changed. And in verse 33, it says, And the jailer took them and washed away their wounds, and he brought them into his home, and he set a meal before them. It happened like, like that. And uh, you, th- you think, well, hold it. He hadn't heard any sermons. Nobody told him how, you're, you know, how this Christian economy is supposed to work. All of a sudden, he was indwelled with the Holy Spirit. And he was looking to serve them and honor them. True? And, and it, happened, it happened right away. Um, and, um, and so I'm thinking as I'm, I'm preparing this, should I be telling you, that that is what you're supposed to do. I mean, or should you know that as a Christian? And, uh, and uh, you know, Pastor Mike said to me, well, Pete, I, I think it's okay for you to tell him. Uh, and he said, here's a good verse for you to refer to. And why don't you look at, if you'd like, uh, Hebrews 10, 24. And I'm going to read it to you. And it says, uh, it says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. And uh, 
I thought about that. I said, yeah, we should be encouraging. And, and maybe what you could do is you could write down, you could write down, who could I encourage and spur on to a good deed, love and good deeds? Now, as you're thinking about this other thing, spurring somebody else on, it's a little tough to do that when you're doing nothing, right? I mean, it's like, oh, um, as I'm preparing this, I'm thinking here, I'm supposed to be talking about other focused. And I think that maybe the Lord has a great sense of humor because uh, I'm feeling like, well, maybe I'm not so other focused. I'm kind of selfish, uh, especially with my time. And uh, I even admitted that to one of my brothers recently. And, uh, um, but I want to, I want to maybe give you an example how this selflessness is, is, uh, uh, is demonstrated in the New Testament church in orange. Okay. And, and it kind of looks like this. It looks like, um, like when my daughter was born 25 years ago, uh, people from this church, uh, I think a couple of them were even here at this service. I know Bud Gilbertson's here and he came to my house. I wasn't even a believer. Okay. But my wife was coming to this church and, uh, um, they brought meals over for seven nights in a row. Now, I could have fixed dinner, right, myself, right? I could have ordered pizza. <laughs> but this family, this church family, brought meals. I mean, by the fourth night, I'm thinking, okay, this is enough, enough, enough. I'm, I'm not going to your church. I am for sure not giving you any of my money. Because I, I knew that was the motivation. And, uh, um, but then as I got to meet the people, I realized, well, these people aren't freaks. They're, they're kind of cool. They're nice people. Um, they didn't seem like they had a, a, you know, some sort of an agenda. Um, and what I didn't get was this. I didn't get, you know, we talked about the, the world's economy. And the world's economy is this, isn't it? Against something for something right? But the Christian economy is different. It's called something for nothing. And I didn't, I didn't get that. After 34 years in the world's economy, I did not understand this. I thought, you know, I need to go. Maybe I'll go and check this out and see why these people would do something for nothing. I want you to know that was a, a serious reason why I started to walk through those doors. Amen. Is that a good thing? And here I am now, the, and, you know, here, who would ever thought that then they'd ask me to come up and talk, okay? Uh, the Lord can change you. And, and, and there's some other examples, and, and Alan Weisenberger mentioned that I didn't use all of my time last time, so I'm, uh, but I'm just going to give you a, another example. But what it looks like in the New Testament church in Orange, another way it looks, it looks like uh, the Ma family, Okay, now, if you, if you don't know who the Ma family is, just turn to the person next to you. It's probably one of the Ma's. Okay. Okay, you know. Yeah. Well, it, it looks like this. It looks like the Ma family um, who invites people to live with them. They can, you can go and live at their house. Now, I don't know where you're going to be, but... Because I think all the rooms are full. But 
they would let somebody come and stay with them um, for nothing. Okay, it uh, you know it looks like uh, Jackie Schuler, who serves in Sunday school, who is a faithful wife and a mother, who leads a sewing class. I mean, I could go on and on about what it looks like in the New Testament church in Orange and. Uh, and from an outsider, I will tell you this, from an outsider, somebody who's not a believer, you know, you're, I, was, I would be calling myself a skeptic because I'm looking, I'm saying, is this really real? This Christian thing, is it real? And isn't true that's what people are called that are outside the church? They're called skeptics, right? And when you're inside the church, see, I haven't changed. Now I'm a believer and I'm just called a fruit inspector. And I'm inspecting fruit. I'm, I'm still looking to see, is this really real? And I'm looking at the fruit in people's lives. I'm looking at the fruit in my life. Okay? And, uh, uh, and these, this fruit is your spiritual gift, and, and your gifts are given to you to use what? To, to, do you know why they're given to you? To, to, help, to help with the body. Is that true? Yeah, amen. So we should be doing that. I'll, one last thing is this, is that it's also a proof statement that you're a believer. Okay, and uh, in John 13, it says, uh, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. I mean, if you just go and do a search in your in your Bible for the one another verses, let me just tell you, you will be... You're going, oh my gosh, I'm, I need to, there's some things I'm not doing on the one another side, okay? But there's some really good verses there. And it says, verse 35, by this, uh, all men will know that you are my disciples. Amen? All right. Awesome stuff. Uh Part of what it means to be sacrificially uh, serving Jesus is uh, being a good steward with our possessions and uh, having a heart of generosity and uh, to the church and to others and to God. Um, if you turn in your Bibles to Revelations uh, 3.20 and kind of stick your finger there, we will... Um, we will uh, jump into that verse here in, a, in just a little bit. First, let's try to answer this question. How do we get the right attitude in being good stewards and being generous? Because the problem is we tend to want to own the wrong things. And uh, we tend to get our claws into things and we grab hold of things and we refer to them as... Uh, this is my money, this is my stuff, uh, this is my own life. Um, when in reality, uh, God really owns everything. And uh, Psalms 24, 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. So now we could ask, uh, how do we live this life open-handed, not with the claws in it, but open-handed with our money and our possessions? Um, because we tend to, whatever we take, uh, kind of takes control of us. Whatever we own ends up owning us. And uh, it kind of says that here in, in Matthew 
6.21, it says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So your treasure kind of owns you. And um, so how do we get freed from being owned and possessed by our money and possessions? Um, The answer really simply is uh, to treasure God, um, to grab hold of him. And, um, and, and that's how we could live uh, life generously, open-handed, because we're treasuring him, uh, pursue him, grab onto him, and then we'll see kind of where our hearts will end up. Um, now, uh, uh, who is this that we're grabbing onto? I have uh, uh, an Attributes of God page, uh, two sides in the back. Um, but I'm going to blow through this a little bit because... Um, in really embracing God and loving God, we, we, we need to love him in knowledge and in truth. And in the Bible, we have um, all kinds of descriptions of God. These are the attributes of God. And they, um, and, and they kind of answer the question, uh, what is your God like? What, what, uh, uh, and, and we would go through the attributes. Now, I've put these on my fingers. I put, I've, I've memorized these. I'm trying to memorize them. I'm trying to meditate them and put them on my, my fingers to, to remember them. And, uh, and so there's 10 categories of, um, of attributes. And, um, and, and, and I'll try to read through these so I don't hem and haw through this list. But um, the, the first one is my pinky, and it's, it's my big God. And, and by the way, uh, this hand, um, I, I remember these five by, it, these are the strong, this, this is a strong arm. This is a big God, strong, strong one. This, this one are, is, is more of a hug. It's more of the relationship uh, attributes of God. So that kind of helps me uh, remember that too. But number one, uh, God is incomprehensibly giant. Uh, he's huge. And he's infinite. He's eternal. He's unchanging. His glory is magnificent. He is both stealth and, and uh, mysterious. Uh, he seems to be hiding sometimes from us for a reason, and, and it's kind of part of his mystery. Uh, God is spirit. God is one. And he is triune. And it all fits right on this little pinky. No, he's huge. And, and so uh, number two is God is uh, omnipresent. He's everywhere. He's inside of everything. He's outside of everything. Uh, number three, God is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He is the creator of everything. He's independent. He needs nothing from us. Uh, number four, God is omniscient. Uh, he is all-knowing, all-wise. He knows every little intent of our heart. Uh, number five, God is sovereign. That means he's in total control. Everything is going according to his plan. And that's, that's at hand. Number six, God is personal. He's not a force. Uh, he's the most personal being in the universe. Uh, he invented personal and he wants to have a personal relationship with us. Um, number seven, uh, God is all good. He is not evil. He's not the author of evil. Uh, and every good thing uh, is from God. 
Uh, Number eight, God is perfectly just and necessarily wrathful. Uh, And it's because he is a holy and righteous God. You wonder, what what is this doing on the relationship hand? A wrathful God. Well, that's because of number nine, uh, that um, God is love. He's, He's loving and merciful and gracious. And he poured out his wrath on his son uh, for us and, and took our place. So that, that's why it's over there. And, and it's part of God's plan in doing that. Um, and then the last one, number 10, is God is truth. Uh, all his ways are true and real. And he is faithful to all that he promises. And, um, and so we, we think about a God like that. And sometimes I'm falling asleep, and, and, and I'll try to sit there, and my wife thinks I'm probably weird. I'm playing with my fingers, you know. But, um, you know, I'm trying to think about this God, and he's so big and awesome. And you pour your heart into him. You think about him, and you meditate on him. You look it up to all the scriptures about, about these, and, and we could have a relationship with this God. Um, so let's look now at our text, um, Revelations 3.20. And... Uh, here's the picture here. Jesus is painting a picture. um, And he's talking to, uh, he's doing the talking here. And uh, he says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. See the picture? If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and have dinner with him. That's the picture that the creator of the universe is like right here on the other side of the door. Just welcome me in and I'll be right there and have dinner. Imagine having dinner with Jesus. This is the picture he's given us. Now, let's put this into context. And if you go back to verse 17, we'll, we'll catch the context. And, and really what, what's happening here is Jesus is talking to and addressing the Laodiceans. They're they're lukewarm, they're screwed up, and, uh, uh, and, and, and if we start in verse 17, Jesus says, For you say, the Laodiceans, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked, uh, somebody missed their self-assessment a little bit, you know, there. I, I mean, you look at these words, wretched, you know, it's like, wow, I thought it was doing pretty good, and yet I'm pitiable, you know. It's like, it's something like that. Um, and, uh, and poor, blind, embarrassingly naked. I, I mean, he's blind. I guess he didn't know that. But you get this picture again of... Jesus uh, saying, you, you've miscalculated um, your self-condition. Now let's jump into verse 18. I counsel you, Jesus talking again, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you can be rich. I, I didn't know Jesus was in the gold business. You know, he's, he's like, I wonder what his... Uh, you know, how much his trade-in value is here. Um, But uh, no, again, Jesus is painting a picture. Let's uh, keep going. And 
and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see those whom I love I reprove and discipline so be zealous and repent here's our verse behold I stand at the door and knock if anyone hears my voice and listens and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Uh, Jesus is saying, I have something valuable for you. It's me. Uh, and, um, and so as we're weighing our attitude about our stuff uh, and we, we, we pour into God's attributes and we, we see Jesus is the true, he has the true riches but he is the true riches um, and every aspect of God uh, uh, is the treasure we really want and need. Um, and he's the source of that. He is the source of every good thing. Um, so God has given every one of us uh, stuff and things and money and, and some to enjoy, but some to share. And, and, and it's like Pete saying about the Christian economy that if we focus and grab hold of Jesus, we grab hold of who he is and make him our treasure, treasure him, um, we will be good stewards and be generous and be open-handed with our money and possessions. Like the hymn goes, and the things on this earth will grow strangely dim. Why? In the light of his glory and grace. Last week, Doug taught us that we shouldn't be surprised when we are persecuted for our faith. Now, chances are most of us are probably not going to be called to imprisonments and tortures and things like that for our faith. So this week, I want to bring it a little closer to home and, and talk about the things that, that we have in our lives that we might be called upon to risk for the sake of the gospel. So what is it in your life that you resist putting at risk for Christ's sake? I'm going to skim over a list of things that uh, most of us put a lot of value on, and as I do, I'd like you to consider how much do you resist putting these things uh, out for God? Do you risk uh, sacrificing these things? So make a note of the things that the Holy Spirit might prompt you about. And on the screen and in your bulletin, there's a list of scriptures, and you can come back later today and study those and, and uh, just meditate on those. The goal isn't to create guilt over our imperfections, but rather just to recognize opportunities for growth as we humble ourselves and commit ourselves more fully to God. But before I consider the things that, that we might put at risk, I want to make it perfectly clear the one thing that is absolutely not at risk. In Colossians 1, we read that we who, we who are in the faith have already been reconciled with God through Christ's death on the cross. So whatever risks we face, we can stand confident and secure in the knowledge that we have been reconciled with God. It is a work that is already complete. 1 Peter 1.5 tells us that by God's power we are guarded through faith. 
It's when we really understand God's love for us and we really understand his power to protect us, it completely frees us to put absolutely everything at risk for Christ's sake. Amen? So as we build on that foundational truth, now let's, let me ask you again, what is it that you aren't willing to risk losing for Christ's sake? Are you willing to risk your physical safety? In Matthew 10, 28, Jesus says, Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. 2 Timothy 4.18 says, The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. Now, God does not promise us physical safety. Uh, Christians die and are injured every single day. But contrary to what the world teaches us, God tells us that that is not something that we should fear because while our bodies may be destroyed, our soul is secure for eternity. Are you willing to put your closest relationships at risk? Jesus said that whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Now, we're called to honor our parents. Parents, were called to love our children. But just like God has a calling on your life, he has a calling on each one of their lives, and that calling will involve some measure of suffering, of persecution, and it will require risk-taking faith. That's sometimes a tough pill for a parent to swallow, but it is not our job to protect our children from that. The example we need to set for our children above all else is that as much as we absolutely love them, we love God even more. Are you willing to risk your money? You know, in 1 Timothy 6.8, Paul says he's content with just food and clothing. Beyond that, he describes our desires to be rich as a dangerous snare that causes some to wander away from the faith. God blesses us so that we can be a blessing to others. So beyond your need for food and clothing, are you willing to use the wealth that God has entrusted to you to meet the needs of other people? Can you risk your future security? Jesus says in Matthew 6, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? It goes on to describe how God cares for the birds and for the flowers and how he values us even more than them. God knows what you need. So seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and he'll take care of all the rest. Therefore, he says, do not be anxious about tomorrow. So are you willing to risk your future security, your future standard of living, in order to be a part of something that God might call you to be a part of today? How about your personal desires? Galatians 5.24, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now that's a nice thought, but how do we actually do that? Let me quote Jeff Schinnebarger from his book, More or Less. He says, If you build a life that is separate from people who experience great need, you will always struggle to be a generous person. In large part, the people closest to us determine what we desire. So surround yourself with people who are in need, and you will desire to meet need. 
Surround yourself with people living in excess, and your desires will become even more excessive. Generous people live in community with people who benefit from their generosity, which makes for a fuller life for the giver. So are you willing to have your own desires go unmet for the greater purpose of allowing God to work through you to meet the needs of others? Is your reputation something you can lay at the altar for God? Now, there's numerous scriptures that tell us that a good reputation among men is a good thing for us to have. But if God calls you to sacrifice that reputation before men, or like Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, to be the scum of the world, will you do it? Are you concerned about lifting yourself up in the eyes of men or about humbling yourself before God and allowing to lift you up as he sees fit? Are you willing to risk your success? Haggai 1 tells us that uh, it makes it clear that our best efforts to succeed are worthless unless God chooses to bless those efforts. Now, we should always do our very best, give our best excellence to everything we do. But the reason is not so that we will succeed. The reason is because our work is an act of worship to God and God deserves our very best. Do you cling to your rights, or can you let yourself be wronged? In 1 Corinthians 9, Paul lists his rights, and in verse 23, he says he gladly sets them aside for the sake of the gospel. So with your heavenly rights that have been given to you fully secured, what's the significance of the earthly rights that we tend to cling to? Are you willing to risk your happiness Now, we do cling tenaciously to our own comfort and happiness, but we have access to a joy that goes much deeper than mere happiness. And often it comes from sources that confound happiness. The greatest joys come from the greatest sacrifices. Let's look at some scriptures and what scripture associates with joy. In James 1, it says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials. I don't know about you, but I don't generally associate trials with joy or with happiness. But James associates them with joy. Matthew 28, where the two Marys are leaving Jesus' tomb, it says they went with fear and great joy. Fear is not generally a source of my happiness, but, but it is accompanying their joy. Paul and Barnabas in Acts 13 are driven from Antioch, and as they're shaking the dust from their feet, it says the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Rejection is not a source of happiness for me, but it was a source of joy for, for them. And the most amazing example in Hebrews 12, too, where it says that Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame. So when we're concerned and focused on our own happiness, we miss out on most of the joy that God has that he wants to give to us. So remember, you can't lose what has already been secured for you by Christ. You have been reconciled with God if you've chosen to accept that gift. And after all, he has a sacrifice to accomplish that. What is it in your life that is so important that you're not willing to sacrifice it for him? Now, it's humiliating for me to admit it, but I have to confess as I thought through some of this in my own life and I I recognized that, you know, there have been times when I have been unwilling to risk 
missing an episode of my favorite TV show to do something that would please God. And you know, sometimes when we do take risks, we make mistakes, but those mistakes aren't a surprise to God. And if, our, if we are humble before him and our desire above all else is to please God, he will make the best lemonade out of our biggest lemons. So as we understand and know God and the depth of his love for us, the risks matter less and less. We become more and more willing to step outside of our comfort zone, to do the things that we don't want to do, to deny ourselves, and to sacrificially, generously, uncomfortably give of our time and our talents and our treasures. Just one more point, and this is really important. Denying ourselves for God will not cause him to love you any more than he already does. We cannot earn his love. But we do these things for God because we recognize the depth of his love for us and we cannot imagine withholding anything from him. Thank you, Pete and Dan and Alan. One thing I hope as we've gone through today and really the last four weeks, what I hope that has been very clear is that the gospel of the grace of God in Christ is so countercultural, is so different from the way that we think. No human could or would have made it up. But it is not anti-human. It's not against us. It is, it is for God's glory and for our good. It's pro-human. But it is also counter-humanity. It counters our self-serving, self-focused, self-centeredness. A.W. Tozier said that if you want to get a really accurate picture of the human race you just take the beatitudes and flip them upside down he says there's your human race i think the gospel is all kinds of crazy foolishness to humans until you have come to faith in the lord jesus christ and experienced his love so i will ask you do do you know the love of God in Christ. Do you love Jesus? And if so, are you serving Jesus? It's one thing for us to say, yeah, I'm serving the Lord. I'm, I'm doing this or that over here and I've got the rest of my life over here and it's all mine. Because when, when someone says, I believe in, in the Lord Jesus Christ, what they're saying is, I am giving everything up. I think a lot of us didn't hear that gospel. Did you hear that gospel? Will you deny yourself and take up your cross and follow Jesus? Pete talked about being others-oriented. We're not talking about reciprocal giving here, something for something, but something for nothing, because you're doing something for Jesus. You've got to find something. Find something to do for Jesus. Dan talked about being open-handed and treasuring God. I like the big arm 
hug picture of, of who God is in all his glory. And Alan talked about risk taking faith. And we like to keep it safe. We like to play it safe, don't we? I know what I can do, I, and I'll stay within that realm. God is calling us as people, as households, and as a church to not play it safe. That's what we signed on for when we, when we said we want to follow Jesus. It's all about the love of God in Christ. The Bible tells us that we love because God first loved us. God loved us so much that he sent his son as the wrath covering sacrifice, the mercy giving sacrifice, the propitiation for our sins. And therefore, we should love others. Last thought is this. You love the one who gave his life for you. You love the Lord Jesus Christ. And you will love other people. And in turn, what is going to happen is they're going to say, wow, wait, this is, this is different. This is, this is not what I've seen and heard my whole life. What's going on? And this is in hopes that they would in turn love the one who gave his life for them. And that that process would continue until Jesus returns. Let's pray together. Lord God, we want to thank you that you tell us the truth, that you don't cover it over and and photoshop it and make it look better than it really is you tell us the truth about our sin you tell us the truth about our self-centeredness and and even our tendencies to make the gospel about us lord free us from thinking the gospel is about us lord free us to truly be others oriented free us to truly be open-handed and free us to take risks because our eternity is safe in you And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.